As you're turning to Psalm 131, I want to mention there's a little book called The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness that Tim Keller wrote, I don't know how many years ago. It's been a couple since I read it. And as I was preparing the sermon um, this weekend, I realized that I'm pretty sure things that I'm going to talk about this morning, I was informed uh, by that book about. So if you are particularly struck by God's Word this morning, and I hope we all will be, uh, and you want to learn more about what this psalm has to say to us, I would really commend Tim's book, The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. It's really long. I think it's 44 pages, and uh, you could read it in an hour this afternoon on your Kindle. So um, anyway, that's that. Three short verses this morning for us, and yet so profound. So let's stand for the reading of God's Word from Psalm 131. This is the very word of God, a song of ascents of David. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, this morning you have three short verses for us, and there is a world of life change and hope in them. I pray that you, your Holy Spirit would attend the preaching of your word now, that we would all hear and believe the gospel. And We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. Tomorrow is Monday morning, that great day that we all look forward to. I can see us now in about 18 hours. Alarms will sound all over Signal Mountain. We will, every one of us, leap from our beds with the pent-up frenzy of thoroughbreds out of the gates. As we shower, shave, some of us, brush our teeth, gobble down breakfast, we will race through the house eager to get to the business of the day. We are strong, we are mighty, we are champions. We have the education, the skill, the motivation, the drive, and the go west young man or woman mentality to blaze the trail of our own destiny Monday morning. Full of hope, full of potential, full of possibility. Is that how you approach Monday? I used to. But now, you know, for many of us, Monday morning is a dread. The alarm goes off, the snooze is activated. We reluctantly turn on the shower, and as we wait for the water to turn from bitter cold to steamy hot, we stare at that image in the mirror. And we know deep down, I am not strong. I am not mighty. I am not enough. And after 10 or 15 minutes of wrestling with the voice in our own head, we will put on that face. 
Some of us will walk into the kitchen and serve breakfast to a toddler. Others will walk into an office building or pick up the tools of our trade, but the struggle begins. And for the sake of others, and for the sake of our own reputations, we will pretend that we are more than enough. Friends, let me tell you something. Pretending is exhausting. And the worst part of it is, the first person you will probably fool is yourself. You see, what I am trying to describe for you is a life lived out of a self-confidence. And you may say, hold on, Eric. The scenario you just painted doesn't sound very confident. I mean, the first one did. The first one did. But the second one just sounds like defeat and self-doubt. You know, I, I hear you. I really do. We have got to broaden our definition of the word pride, of the concept. We must realize that both self-confidence and self-doubt have one major thing in common. They are both based on the self. It's up to you! And if you're anything like me, a life lived in self-reliance is one mad roller coaster between the highs of temporary confidence and the deadly scary drops of doubt. And our passage this morning is inviting us to get off the ride. As we look at these three short verses, the Lord is going to offer us an alternative to a life lived out of self-reliance, to a life lived in reliance on God Himself. A different way to approach Monday morning and every moment after. So let's look at it. Turn, turn in your Bible to verse 1. O oh Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. Verse 1 is a renunciation of a life of pride and presumption. And we're going to unpack that in a moment, but the first thing I want us to notice is that David addresses this prayer, this psalm, to the Lord. David is aware that his life is lived as an open book before the Lord of all creation and redemption. God is creator, judge, and redeemer, and David knows David knows that every moment of his life is lived in the presence of God. There is nowhere you can go where God is not there. David lives his life with the reality of this presence of the Lord. Listen, the first key to living Monday morning and every moment after in reliance on God is to realize that he is with you. God is with you. And when the alarm goes off tomorrow morning, the Lord is there. So David goes on, Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. Now David's not saying that he's depressed. He's saying, God, I know who I am and I know who you are. And though the world may heap praise on me, all praise should go to you. You are God. I am your child. So far, so good. Don't we all love that part? 
We hate pride in others when we see it, don't we? We can smell pride on other people a mile away. It's as pungent as the teenage boy who buys his first bottle of cologne. Boys, when you buy your first bottle of cologne, don't splash it on like the commercial. Dab, boys, dab, dab. That's how we can smell pride on others. The way they talk, the way they carry themselves, the way they look down on us. We can perceive pride in others, but can we perceive it in ourselves? In verse 1, David is on guard against pride. And he knows he cannot avoid it by looking at his own belly button. It's his view of God that is his weapon against pride. But it's the next part of the verse that's going to bother some of us. Still in verse 1, but it's the second part, David says, I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. Now be honest. Some of you, some of us, are offended by that statement, aren't we? Is God saying I should not pursue knowledge? That I shouldn't hone my craft? That I should not develop my abilities? No, of course not. You see, this is where a biblical theology is so important. You cannot rightly live in this world without a robust biblical theology of understanding what all the scriptures say about us and God. Our hearts and minds need to be bathed in the scriptures or we will come to a verse like this and we will either misunderstand it or be offended by it and resist it. You see, the question arises from this verse. It's, well, is man great or isn't he? Is man capable of great things and comprehending marvelous things or isn't he? It seems like David is saying, just be satisfied to be a simpleton and move on. Just get it done. Stop exerting yourself. Don't have any ambition. Don't think too hard. Leave all that to God. He can handle it. Friends, we have to call on our biblical theology here. Does that sound like the rest of Scripture? First, we need to go back to Genesis 1. God created man in his own image. Male and female, he created them. And, he, and God told man, subdue the earth. Discover, explore, create, little c. Invent, rule, love, multiply. Tell of God's fame. Bear his image on the earth. Friends, that is a pretty glorious and expansive calling, isn't it? Isn't it? And what about Psalm 8? Listen, some of you, when I read this, this verse this morning, this one, this particular verse, you thought to yourself, man, what about Psalm 8? Some of your minds went there. How is this going to relate with what we know in Psalm 8? You see, Psalm 8 is the same man, David, speaking. Listen to what he says. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. When I look, when I occupy myself, at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moons, the stars, which you have put in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? And the Son of Man, that you care for Him. 
You've made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You've given him dominion over the works of your hands. I mean, Psalm 8 has everything that a poor reading of Psalm 131 would prohibit. Did you notice that? A high view of man, a man occupying himself with things too great and too marvelous to comprehend. So which is it? Ponder great things or don't ponder great things? Is man great or is he lowly? Friends, here is another key to Monday morning and every moment after. God is great. Man is made in his image, but man was never intended to live apart from the care of God. Even before the fall, the Lord planted the garden and he put the man there to work it. Everything we have is gift. Everything we have and are will be is gift. Deuteronomy 29, 29. Listen, memorize this verse. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and our children forever that we may do all the words of this law. God is great. Man is made in his image. But friends, the secret things belong to God. So work at your craft. Explore the things that are revealed. Subdue the earth. Discover, explore, create, little c. Invent, rule, love, multiply, and tell of God's fame. Bear his image in the earth. Marvel at the works of his hands, but be content to leave the secret things to God. Over the course of years, I have shared the gospel with a friend. And over the years, he has listened with great intent. But year after year, he replies with the same resistance to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is the resistance. I still have questions God hasn't answered. The secret things belong to God. God has not promised to answer all of our questions. It's okay. It's okay to have questions. It's okay to struggle with them. But he offers us something better than every question. He offers us himself. Don't let your pride or your thirst for answers keep you from God. Now look at verse 2. This is not a new train of thought. Verse 2 is not a new train of thought. David's about to compare and contrast the way of living that he just displayed in verse 1, pride and presumption, to the way he lives instead. In the care of God. He says, but, or we might say, instead of living that way, I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. David says, rather than living from a sense of self-importance, I have quieted and calmed my soul. Does that sound like a non sequitur to you? Like that doesn't follow? In other words, 
does it seem odd that David is contrasting pride with calm? That's strange, isn't it? But isn't it true? David's saying that a life of pride and presumption is a frantic, unsettled life. I think he's right. When we try to build a life on our own self-importance and abilities and wisdom, there's just no rest. There's just no rest. Sure, in the, in the immediate aftermath, I chose that word carefully, of the big win or the big sale or the big promotion, the endorphin rush can make it feel as if all is right in the world. But friend, that doesn't last. How many have realized this? You meet one moment at the top of the roller coaster hill and then and we feel like it's going to last forever and then we're, we're down in the valley again. Then on the other side, in the aftermath of the big loss, the big breakup, the devastating illness, we realize all too well we cannot fix what ails us. A life built on the self lets us down either way. Success and failure have the same result. It's a frantic life. There's no rest, no calm, no quiet. And you know why? Because we know we can't sustain it. Deep down, we know we are not enough. And someday, if it hasn't already, that house of cards is going to tumble. David has found a better way. He says, I have quieted my soul. How, David? <laughs> Who wants to know how? How? How have you quieted your soul? Please tell me I'm exhausted. I cannot hold this together much longer. Here's how. David stopped listening to himself and he started talking to himself. He stopped listening to himself and he started talking to himself. Now, I know that phrase is long since cliche, but I love it. And it's often used in self-help books. I get it. So let me say it this way. When the voice of self-importance, self-reliance, or self-doubt began to well up inside David, he calmed it and quieted it with the never-changing truth of God's Word. It was as if he said, there, there. <laughs> it's, it's okay. I know you're upset, but this is true and that isn't. It can be healthy to talk to yourself. It's like the mother comforting her child. Please don't give a picture of a super holy man, David, a man of God who never struggled with pride or self. Read the book. You'll know. David doesn't say... <laughs> But I'm not like those other fools. He says, but I have quieted and calmed my soul. 
In our Reformed grid that we sometimes lay over the Scriptures, some of us are thinking, well, it was really God who calmed his soul. Okay, let's get that right. Listen, I agree with you at some level, but don't miss the action of this verb. David worked on his soul with effort and intentionality. David believed God rather than believing himself. You are not a trustworthy counselor. Do you know that? The heart is deceitful. David believed his God before he believed himself. And he had to do it over and over and over until it stuck. Now, I look out and I see many mothers. And many of you have nursed an infant child or watched your wife or your mother nurse an infant child. Friends, a hungry infant is a frantic individual. I don't want to be too graphic, but early on it can be painful to watch and to accomplish. I know. Uh, those who not, have not experienced it, you, you may have this idealized image, uh, maybe from you know, formula commercials or, or you know, television in, in general, this idealized image of mother and child in a quiet room with dimmed lights. And the only sound in the room is the heartbeat and the breath of the mother and the child. And the gentle, rhythmic sound of the suckled nourishment passing from one to the other. At times it can be like that. But at first it's more like this. The child is screaming. Terrified. With emotions that she cannot explain. That she will never eat Again. Ever. Her face turns blood red as she screams and thrashes her head back and forth, knowing she has hunger, but desperately hopeless in that she has no idea where to find satisfaction for it. And as the breast is offered, the innate instinct to latch on, it kicks in. And some kids do this naturally from the beginning, but others, they struggle the mother is there. The milk is there. But for whatever reason, the child who desires above all else to be comforted and fed fights the very one, the only one, who desires to feed and comfort. It's frantic and it's painful. Friends, this is the life built on the importance of the self. Frantic. Believing that only by your own effort and worth will you be given what you need. Crying out to be fed by the hapless circumstances of an impersonal universe. Self-importance, self-doubt. It's all the same thing. David has a better way. He says, I have quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. 
You see, this frantic beginning of the infant's life doesn't generally stay frantic in that same way. Over time, by breast or bottle, the child begins to understand the next meal will come. And over time, the child is weaned off her diet of milk and begins to eat other foods. And the lap of the mother, listen, the lap of the mother that once meant physical sustenance now means so much more. You see, once the child is weaned, she still climbs into her mother's lap. But this time it's for the relationship. To be held, to be protected, to be rocked, to be read, to be sung to. The weaned child is not frantic for a meal. She is calm in the arms of the one who loves her. David has quieted his soul by speaking the truths of God to himself. In experiencing the love of God through fellowship and worship and believing God more than he has believed himself. You see, the life David is holding up to us is not a life of self-reliance. It's a life of faith. Now, I have been toying with this phrase for a few years. Jimmy and Nathan are sick of hearing it. I'm like, what do you think about this? What do you think about this? I think I'll get this way. David is living a life out of a humble confidence. Or maybe it's a confident humility. We'll take a poll later. I really want to know which it is. The humility is David's, but so is the confidence. Isn't that strange? Here's the key. The confidence is placed wholly in the rocking chair and lap and soothing song of God. When the toddler feels unsafe, she runs to her mother. When she feels lonely, she runs to her mother. And in the arms or lap of the mother, the toddler regains confidence. The humility is in the recognition that she needs to be loved and protected and the confidence is in knowing that her mother not only can provide it, but longs to. Friends, David is showing us what a humble confidence looks like. Just as the toddler quiets and calms her soul by running to her mother, we quiet and calm our souls by believing and resting in the word and person of God and, the, and here's the payoff. The Christian does not have to choose between humility and exploration. The Christian does not have to choose between humility and athletic achievement. The Christian does not have to choose between humility and and dare I say it, greatness. The Christian does not have to choose between humility and strong, focused leadership. You only have to choose between God reliance 
or self-reliance. Here's a test. You don't know, how do I tell the difference? Rubber meets the road, Monday morning, alarm goes off. How do I know? Here's the test. Whatever you put your heart and your mind to, welding, dentistry, pastoring, teaching, mothering, editing, schooling, coaching, lawyering, doctoring, whatever it is, brewing your own beer, whatever you're doing, whatever you're putting your mind and heart to, who do you hope gets the glory for it? Who do you hope gets the glory for it? Whose name do you hope is made great in the eyes of others by your good endeavor? That's how you'll know. That's how you'll know. Now, this is raw and this is honest. I have spent, I'm going to share something. I have spent most of my life searching frantically for the thing that would set me apart from the rest of you. Isn't that ugly? It's really, it's true. And I didn't really care what it was as long as I could be the best and people would love me for it. It was an exhausting and fruitless endeavor. Every success turned sour. Every energy eventually faded. Every failure, listen, every failure utterly devastating. But by the grace and endless mercy of God for His child, I have finally begun to learn how to quiet and calm my soul. I do not want to say that I am healed of my self-importance. I am not. But I want to tell you I have been in recovery for some time. Flowers smell better. I'm not joking. You think I'm joking. I'm not joking. Flowers smell better. Colors are more vivid. I have found true pleasure in marveling at God's creation. Simple blessings evoke moments of seemingly disproportionate gratitude. All because God has begun to show me how to quiet and calm my soul. And it has come through many stops and fits, but I'm finally beginning to want God more than His blessings. Now you may say, for a man who just preached a sermon decrying self-importance, you sure are talking about yourself a lot. Well, let me show you why. And I'm going to end with this. Look at verse 3. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Friends, David shares his experience with the rest of the people of God. Having seen clearly the difference between the frantic life of self 
and the calm, soul-quieted life in the care of God, David cannot stay silent. He says, listen, this is the way. Walk in it. If you have experienced this kind of rescue from God, from your frantic life of self, tell somebody about it. That's our role. Tell somebody, just like I told you, about what God's doing in my life. He's doing something in your life. Tell others. His name becomes greater when you share the good news of Jesus and his work. Let me tell you why it's so important. Because the people around us are frantic. They're frantic. And friends, they should be. Did you know that? They should be frantic. One day, every human who's ever lived will stand before the throne of God's righteous judgment and we will all give an account for every thought, every word, every deed. And each of us, standing on our own record, standing on self, will be condemned. If you're here this morning and you've not repented and believed the good news of the gospel, you should be frantic. There should be no calming or quieting of your soul. And if you have found something else that works for now, it will not stand. So I want to tell you this morning, this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus lived a perfect life in God reliance. He kept every word of the law. He was content to learn the revealed things and trusted his life with God in the secret things. And having lived that life, he went to the cross and he took God's wrath and righteous judgment for every evil thought, word, and deed that his people had ever committed or would ever commit. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. That's why the believer can quiet his soul. That's ultimately how David does it. Because Christ has already quieted the voice of the wrath of God for him. Christ has stilled the thunder of the wrath of God. Christ has absorbed its fatal blow. He didn't deserve it. We did. He took it so we could live. And on the week of his crucifixion, Jesus approached the city of Jerusalem. And though he received a warm welcome from the people, waving palm fronds, saying, Hosanna, Jesus wept over them. You see, they they thought they had found something that would quiet their soul. They weren't trusting him. And knowing their frantic, self-righteous hearts, Jesus said to himself, if only you had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. 
What a terrible thing to be so close to Jesus and never take hold of Him. Friends, there is salvation in no other name. There is rest in no other name. There is calm and quiet for the soul in no other name than the name of Jesus. If you have never trusted Him, let today be the day that you do. Say no to a life built on self and rest for the very first time in the safe arms of Jesus. But if you are a believer, you are in his arms. I know it doesn't feel like it sometimes. I know. But you are in his arms. Learn with David how to remind your frantic soul of it. And when you have and you've experienced the calm, settled rest that the humble confidence in Christ can give, plead with others to hope in him too. Tomorrow is Monday morning. Smile. Believer, smile. Tomorrow's Monday morning. So get up and go and create and subdue and invent and defend and provide and live this life in the confidence, in the humble confidence that you can have in your Savior, Jesus Christ. You don't have to live in your own strength tomorrow morning. 6 a.m. can come, the alarm can go off, and you can, some of us are physically capable of this, can get up the first time and quiet your soul with the hope of Jesus Christ because you are in Him. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore.